G'day and welcome back to another episode of the Beyond the Fence podcast. And today we are talking all about the NBA Finals. We've got a two-part Finals preview. And joining me today to talk all about the Phoenix Suns. It's one of the brightest Suns lines on Twitter, at least, that I follow. Uh, it's David Nash, also known as the Four Point Player, mate. Thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm good, Ben. It's uh, always good to jump on uh, on our time zone and, and talk to another familiar Australian voice. So uh, I'm looking forward to jumping in and, and talking about the finals, which, you know, I've got to say a couple of weeks ago, did not expect uh, to be doing podcasts like this one uh, for the <laughs> Phoenix Suns with where we've come from. So uh, it, it, it's all gravy. Uh, for me, as much as I want to win this, and I'm sure once we get stuck in, I'll really want to make sure we come out with the ring. But right now, it, it, it just feels like a bit of a bonus. Just a bit of house money. Exactly, exactly. Um, before we get into the nitty gritty, I just wanted to ask you before we started, I guess a two-parter, how long have you been a Sunstand? And then I guess just more broadly, like what does this mean? Yeah, I mean, without uh, aging myself too much, I've been a Suns fan for probably about 25 years now. Uh, Charles Barkley was the reason that I became uh, a Suns fan. I'm sure you're pretty familiar. Uh, I'm not sure how old you are in, in relation to me, but uh, getting NBA content uh, back when I was a kid was a little harder. It was coming off things like VHS tapes and stuff. So uh, there was a few famous... Uh, VHSs that got shared around and passed down to me from from my older brother and uh, Charles was definitely the star of the show on a lot of those uh, outside obviously the obvious names like uh, Magic Johnson and, and Michael Jordan and things like that so uh, that's how far I've come with the Suns uh, ironically enough you know right on the doorstep of the last time we made it to the finals was around about when I became a fan but was probably too young uh, to realize that it might take this long for us to get back. So uh, it means it means everything, to be honest. Uh, you know, sport's just sport at the end of the day, but uh, particularly uh, for me, uh, I was recounting the other day, uh, the bubble was during uh, Melbourne's first lockdown, obviously where I am, uh, the, the regular season run when the, the Suns really started to make some noise was the, the second lockdown in Melbourne. Uh, and then the start of the playoffs when we started making some noise was was the third or fourth time we'd been uh, put into lockdown here in Melbourne. So uh, <laughs> it's got it got special meaning for me because it, it's got me through uh, a lot of crap, to be perfectly honest, uh, with not much else to do. So, uh, yeah, it feels like a pretty special season so far. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's a pretty similar way to how I became a fan of the Pistons. I, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not from the VHS here. I'm not quite that old, but... It's a similar thing of like joining joining them on the on the the come down of their last title, and then it's just been twenty years of garbage or fifteen years of garbage ever since. But no, nah, that's all right. We'll talk about that another day. Um, I guess obviously you mentioned the bubble there from last season, the undefeated bubble. I guess coming into this season on the back of that, like what were your expectations? Yeah, I mean, if we talk kind of pre. Uh, Chris Paul trade uh, and say we're running it back with with Ricky Rubio. I just I just hope that they could build on on the momentum of the bubble there. You know maybe um, make the playoff uh, or the play in spots really was what we first had our eyes on. Obviously just missing out after that eight no run in the bubble. We want we definitely wanted to get back there as a fan base uh, and then you know probably 
um, at the highest peak was thinking maybe they could get into that sixth spot and, and guarantee themselves a playoff spot. But that was about as high as it was looking uh, with Ricky Rubio. And then I guess when we traded for Chris Paul, uh, started to eye off, you know, maybe home court being the absolute uh, ceiling that this team could go for. You know, we'd just seen Chris Paul take the thunder to the playoffs and, and really push Houston in, in the bubble uh, in those playoffs before they fell apart. And I just looked at the Phoenix Suns roster uh, compared to that Thunder roster and thought, you know, if he could stay at the level he was playing at, we definitely had uh, some more chips for him to play with uh, on the Suns team. So I thought they might be able to to push home court if everything uh, absolutely broke right. And uh, I guess I was wrong at the end of the day because they uh, went even further than that. Yeah, I guess... I mean, there's always the age thing with Chris Paul now, so you never really know. It's hard to quantify how much he's going to improve a team like Phoenix that's probably one of those young, like, you know, if everything breaks right, like you said, they could maybe push for, you know, the play-in prop, oh, sorry, playoff prop, so like, what, top six? Yeah. But then just that Chris Paul effect in general, I guess we're really talking about the difference between him and Rubio running the team as, like, the main on-court that increase in value would you say yeah pretty much uh jay crowder pretty underrated signing um and you know not to throw too much shade at a guy like kelly Ubre, but it was uh kind of just addition by subtraction jay just fit the starters a hell of a lot more uh doesn't need the ball just you know will hit outside open shots and, and play defense whereas kelly Ubre was kind of stealing the ball a little bit more off our uh, bigger stars and, and wanted a bigger role on the team. So that, you know, those two uh, changes, I suppose, in the starting lineup were, were a big reason. Uh, and then just the youth uh, that they had coming along uh, in this season and the growth um, of that young core, uh, whether it was Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, uh, Cam Johnson and, and Mikhail Bridges. So uh, yeah, just everything has, has broken right. Um, to be honest, and and I guess this was the vision for the front office when they made the Chris Paul trade that uh, this was definitely uh, a possibility and on the cards. But for me, it w- was more just thinking that it was at least at the time making sure they could solidify that playoff spot because uh, Devin Booker was going into his sixth season in the NBA uh, with not even sniffing the playoffs outside of that bubble run. So uh, I really just thought they were trying to guarantee that playoff spot, uh, certainly not do uh, what they've done and, and get all the way to the NBA finals. And just on Chris Paul, I mean, that game six performance, it's got to be up there on like the, the Mount Rushmore of Suns individual games, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, I've got a, an off and on podcast with a, a friend of mine who is a Phoenix fan and, and lives in Arizona. And, and we named it the Seven Seconds or Less podcast because they're, you know, the favorite uh, teams of ours uh, that we grew up uh, watching uh, as, as Suns fans. And we've just been debating, uh, you know, back and forth about how ridiculous it is that, you know, this guy's played for the team for, for one year. Uh, has already taken them further than Steve Nash ever was able to. And um, it, it kind of puts your fandom into a little bit of a tailspin because uh, Steve <laughs> Nash was, was certainly my favorite player, um, you know, as my fandom grew uh, for the Suns. And, and I learned that there was more after Charles Barkley. And, and all of a sudden we've got this guy who's taken us um, to 
the furthest that we've ever been. Uh, we haven't won a ring. Uh, Detroit, I know I've got a couple of them and have tasted that in their past. We haven't. Um, and he quietly. could... <laughs> there you go. And uh, he could could put us there and it's going to make a lot of us even if it's only one season think about where we place uh chris paul and you mentioned it the the game six performance he also had uh, a game four performance against the denver nuggets to close that one out as well those two games together it's not like he's just being dragged along by this young core he's he's leading him from the front and he's going to have you know, at least to this point, a couple of games and some just real signature moments. You know, it feels like an eternity ago, but to think back to him fighting through that shoulder injury in the Lakers series and then getting COVID and missing two games uh, and coming back as well. So it's kind of got all the hallmarks of those runs that you remember uh, and remember players by. So uh, not sure what his future holds on the team, um, but if it is just one season, he's still going to be right up there. And if they win it all, um, probably go into uh, what is uh, the Suns' ring of honor, which is our uh, you know uh, version of retiring numbers uh, for the franchise. Yeah, you brought up the obviously the seven seconds or less teams were you know famous um, all throughout the league for how they played, and I guess you know how far Steve Nash was able to take them. I haven't written this down; it just came to me then when you mentioned them. Do you think Chris Paul's got better horses around him than those Steve Nash teams? It's a good question. You know, you think straight away to, you know, a guy like Amari Stoudemire uh, and what Chris Paul would be able to do with him like Steve Nash could. Um, I think he's probably um, at his peak, the best of the the supporting cast players as, as good as DeAndre Ayton has been in the playoffs so far. And as much as I love Devin Booker, you know, the, Amari Stoudemire at his peak was just offensively just an absolute monster of a player. But I think the key difference is defense. You know, everyone would always talk about it with those seven seconds or less sons. Uh, They were phenomenal offensively, but they just couldn't get stops when it counted, particularly against some of those uh, Tim Duncan and and Kobe Bryant led Lakers teams and and Tim Duncan with the Spurs, obviously. Uh, This team plays defense Uh, like pretty much no Suns team I've ever watched before. Uh, And that's where the key difference is. Uh, It would be interesting as a bit of a thought exercise to think about this team's uh, defense against uh, the seven seconds or less uh, offense, because um, yeah, I'm not sure who would come out on top in that one. Yeah. I just want to throw that in there. Um, Cause yeah, I think everyone knows those seven seconds or less teams and the, you know, the famous pick and roll, but yeah, yeah, I think definitely there's a lot more, let's call it defensive um, application, for lack of a better word, in these <laughs> yeah. teams. Um, moving on from Chris Paul, because I think a lot of people, including myself, are a little bit guilty of, I guess, you know, wanting to give him all the credit for everything good that's happened to the Suns this year, where obviously there's a lot of other factors. But I think him being the main showpiece, you know, change from last year and everyone's, you know, like how much of it is Chris Paul versus... Uh, the next person I want to talk about, which is Monty Williams, I guess, has he? Pro- he's obviously proved himself as a very, very good coach. Like, what do, what would you say are his key actions and like his key plays? That, like, what's his go-to in in a close situation? Yep, um, the Suns run a lot of Spain pick and roll. It's probably the 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 go-to action, and there's uh, a few different reads they can run out of it. Uh, I'm sure your listeners are probably familiar with it, but, you know, basically high pick and roll in the center of the floor between the point guard and the center. And then Devin Booker will uh, 
uh, float up after some misdirection and, and try and set a back screen on the center who is trying to stay with DeAndre Ayton after the initial pick and roll. And then, you know, you can get Ayton on the lob. Uh, you can get Devin Booker popping out to the three-point line if they don't follow him. Uh, can quite often get Chris Paul some uh, easy looks at the rim uh, and occasionally to his uh, patented uh, elbow jumper as well. So that's one that they love because it can kind of get all three of their offensive core going. Uh, they run a lot of uh, horns and, and elbow action uh, with sometimes two bigs at the elbows in the more traditional sense, but sometimes, uh, you know, more DeAndre Ayton uh, and a guard like Devin Booker or Mikel Bridges. And again, that's kind of a real read and react type play for the Suns where it can go a number of ways uh, based on how the defense uh, sees it coming. Uh, that's probably two of my favorites. And uh, third, they run fist, um, which is uh, DeAndre Ayton down screen uh, down near the, the, the low block. Uh, for Devin Booker curling off that. And that that's just a nightmare for, for teams to defend as well because it takes Devin straight into his mid-range shot uh, at the free throw line. Uh, and if the big steps up, he's got DeAndre Ayton for the lob there. So they, they run a lot of stuff that is centered around uh, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, as you can imagine, as they're two uh, big offensive threats. And then and Chris Paul's kind of the, the beneficiary of the defense uh, trying to stay with the other guys. So he's the one that, um, you know, can quite often uh, get the payoff from some of those actions. Do you think having a point guard like Chris Paul come in has allowed Monty to be more creative and use those sets that have, you know, three or four different end games where it just allows Paul to make the best read? Yeah, hundred percent. They, they did it with Rubio, but obviously Rubio's got his, uh, limitations as a shooter um, so they did run a fair bit of Spain pick and roll and, and fist as well um, but it, it just made the job of the defense a little bit easier because they could already sag off Ricky Rubio uh, when they saw that action coming whereas you know Chris's man has to still play right up on him on the initial pass uh, and also worry about him getting the ball back after they run the initial action. So uh, it's not that they've changed too much offensively between Ricky Rubio and Chris Paul. It's just that they, uh, they run it a hell of a lot better uh, with Chris Paul. And that a, a big reason for that um, is his shooting ability and also um, just protects the ball a little bit better than Ricky Rubio as well. Obviously both great passes, but uh, Ricky probably is, is double the turnovers uh, of Chris Paul this year, uh, if you compare to last year, he's just a um, a little bit more complacent with the ball and, and probably looks for that hero uh, assist a little bit more than Chris does. So uh, they're the, the the two key differences between the two players, I think. Yeah. Uh, how have you rated, I guess, Monty's rotations and just general like in-game adjustment ability over the course of the playoffs? It's probably the biggest knock on Monty, but uh, that's not to say that he uh, hasn't had some uh, good times and, and good games in both of those factors. Uh, he's definitely uh, uh, the big thing when Monty was hired was a lot of people thought about his uh, New Orleans Pelicans days um, and with Anthony Davis, where he was not known as a very good adjuster. Uh, and rotation guy for, for them and, and more just that vocal leader, but really struggled with the on-court stuff. He's completely different now. He, he's got both sides and is what makes him such a good coach and why he was 
you know, a lot of people's picks for coach of the year, even if he didn't actually end up uh, getting that award. Uh, I think it was Tom Thibodeau who, who won that for, for the Knicks, but you know, he's still uh, the way I kind of explain it is he's an incredible preparer for games. And a lot of people have commented on that uh, right down to someone like Chris Paul talks about that all the time. Um, the in-game stuff, he still struggles a little bit. I think we saw particularly in that Clippers series, everyone knows Ty Lue is very, very good uh, from that perspective. Uh, and he threw some real curveballs at Monty that he, he struggled to keep up with at times. Um, but overall, he's done a pretty good job in the playoffs so far uh, with rotations and, and some of those in-game adjustments too. Is there anyone, I guess, in, that's maybe not in the rotation or isn't getting minutes that you thought would be getting minutes in the playoffs? Uh, me specifically, not really. The, the one that the fan base will, you'll often hear talk about, uh, on Twitter is Javon Carter, uh, you know, great defender, um, much improved shooter. And particularly, uh, we've had a few, uh, injury concerns throughout the playoffs, not to, to complain too much because some other teams have had a lot more than we have. Uh, but you know, obviously Devin Booker had the, the broken face for a little while. Chris Paul had both the, the shoulder and COVID, uh, and campaign who's our, our backup guard um, had a few issues with his ankle and each uh, one more is the guy that's been eating up those minutes uh, where a lot of the fan base uh, would prefer a guy like Javon Carter, just because of the energy he brings. He's that real spark plug off the bench that when things aren't going your way, uh, you can often throw him in to, to turn a game around. Um, but I kind of, to be honest, I side with Monty on this one. I understand why he goes with more he's got a little bit more ability off the dribble to attack closeouts and things whereas Javon you know he's very limited he can hit you an outside shot and he can play defense but uh, he's also pretty small so uh, the guys that you can put him on defensively are actually um, you know limited as well so uh, interestingly though looking at this Bucks matchup uh, and Bryn Forbes not to jump too far ahead here but uh, that might be a guy uh, that you can throw Javon Carter out to guard uh, when everyone else is struggling. So maybe this is a series for him when he hasn't played so much so far in the playoffs. Yeah. And you mentioned campaign there. Did you ever see a universe where he would go from where he was, which was, you know, borderline out of the league or hanging on with 10 days to what he's become now? It, it's unbelievable. We joke about it all the time amongst the fan base. You know, basically if Ricky Rubio didn't get COVID before the bubble, uh, campaign probably wouldn't be in the NBA, which is just one of those sliding door moments that you um, think about. And uh, he had the history with Monty Williams. Uh, they gave him another shot. He'd been playing pretty well in the G League before going over to China, but obviously it had a number of chances already in the NBA and had been written off. Uh, and I didn't see it coming. You know, I, I kind of remember writing about the bubble and how much we were struggling at that backup guard spot after the scrimmage matches and, and kind of just pondered of whether, you know, campaign pain might actually be the guy to go to and that he might be the difference between uh, winning a couple of games here or there in the bubble. Uh, and he was at the end of the day and it got him back on the team. And he's been the difference between winning a couple of games uh, this season too. Uh, and even winning a playoff game. Uh, he had 29, nine and zero turnovers in the, game two against the Clippers uh, when he was asked to start yeah. for Chris Paul being out with COVID and um, the fact that they've got a guy on the minimum that they can throw in uh, to do that is just unbelievable and a big, big reason why they are still in the running right now. Yeah, I was going to say, 
Um, I think when he hurt his ankle, and I think correct me if I'm wrong, it was game three or four. Um, and then it, it's really a testament to how far he's come that, you know, Eats One More came in and filled those minutes when Payne was out. And there was a, a noticeable drop off in the level, which I just thought, <laughs> yeah. like, oh my, like, you know, this guy's been with the Thunder, the Bulls, the I don't even know who else. Yeah, he went to China and he's come back, like you said, just purely on luck. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's unbelievable. It, it is. And, you know, I think uh, it's a testament to, to his hard work. Um, but, you know, it, he's going he's gonna to get the rewards of it this offseason. I think the Suns can pay him uh, up to $10 million uh, with early bird rights or around that mark. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if some teams sniff around to, to pay him more than that and, and kind of pull him away from the Suns. So uh, that's an interesting thing for us to watch when this is all said and done is, is whether the Suns can actually afford to keep him. Yeah. Um, I guess building off of that with campaign and I guess the more um, obvious, you know, young core that, you know, we'd spoken about for a couple of years, you know, growing together and maybe on an accelerated timeline now, but, you know, your Bookers, your Aitons, Macau Bridges, Cam Johnson, or the four I've got listed here. Yeah. I guess just in general, like what's, the growth of like the young core as a group being like from last year to this year, like what have you noticed? Yeah. I, I think it's just having, everyone knows their role on this team. I think when you insert a guy like Chris Paul um, into the starting lineup, Jay Crowder and what he does into the starting lineup, I think the, the roles got uh, very well defined for all of the young players and they were able to just focus on what they do and, and try and do it to the best of their ability. Uh, DeAndre Ayton is uh, probably the best example of that. He's uh, sacrificed a lot this season to play the type of role that this team needed him to instead of uh, maybe the role that a, a former number one pick would want to play and show uh, everything that he can possibly do on the court. He's definitely not doing everything uh, on the court in this season that he may be able to do in two, three four years time for the Phoenix Suns, but he's playing the role that he's supposed to. So, you know, the guys you mentioned there, Devin Booker, high volume scorer for this team, they run everything through him. And uh, he's whilst he's picked things up defensively uh, on that end this season, because he's been asked to, he knows what his role is for the team. And that's to, to get buckets. DeAndre Ayton screens, uh, you know, crashes the offensive glass, cleans up everything, uh, finishes, you know, I think he's one of the best, uh, finishes in the NBA just in terms of finishing plays on lobs uh, on the pick and roll. Mikael Bridges, uh, best defender on the team, just missed out from all defensive honors. I thought he was very unlucky uh, not to get that nod this this season. Uh, he'll guard pretty much the best player on the opposition uh, point guard right through to, to power forward quite often. A great point of attack defender, still a little bit light on and, and needs to bulk up a little bit. Uh, but he knows exactly what his role is on this team and, and, you know, throw in just hitting wide open shots when the ball swings to him. Uh, and Cam Johnson is the other one. You know, he, he comes in, he's, he's shooting the best out of any son in the playoffs. Uh, I would like to see him be, being played just a little bit more than what he is currently um, just to, to take full advantage of that, get, let him get kind of five, six uh, deep shots up per game. Um, but again, uh, a, a draft pick that was um, criticized by most, including myself at the time, even though I liked Cam, I thought it was a little bit of a reach, uh, but he was able to just come in 
uh, and play that role for the team. Uh, and that's probably why they've been able to get to this point is, is very well-defined roles and everybody executing uh, pretty close to the best of their ability all season. Would you somewhat agree then, I guess, that Ken Johnson was a bit of a wild card? Because we know how good Booker is. We know what Aiton's capable of, and especially him getting to play with Chris Paul and then obviously Bridges doing what he does. Johnson came into the league, I guess, the perception true or not was you know shooter um but then yeah. i guess we've seen in the playoffs he, his offensive game is so much more expanded than that and just his size as well would you say he's been the wild card yeah i would actually i think you've got a hit on some of those low value contracts uh to get a team uh, like this that's paying you know chris paul 40 million dollars uh, devin booker 30 million dollars uh, you know, they're obviously lucky with DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges still being on their rookie extensions. That helps a lot. But to, you know, fill out a seven, eight, nine man rotation that can get you in a position like the two seed to maybe get to a position like they are now uh, in the NBA finals, you need guys like Cam Johnson to be able to fill in. He's filled in as a starter occasionally when he was needed. He was the starting power forward in that bubble team that went eight and zero. So he's got the ability uh, and he is very underrated in a couple of things that he does, particularly on the defensive end, always in the right spot, uh, which was not known as a strength of his coming out of college um, and attacks the rim and, and makes the most or takes the most advantage, I should say, uh, of guys closing out on him because he is such a good shooter. So, um, yeah, definite wild card and actually a, a wild card, you know, slash X factor that I've picked uh, in a couple of the series here. And I've picked him again on my regular podcast to be the X factor in this finals, because I don't think they've got a matchup for him off the bench and he could be uh, really big in the finals against the Bucks. I think. Yeah. Um, just going back to Devin Booker, he struggled a little bit, I guess, in the, in the conference finals, just shooting wise. Were you yeah. worried at all? Or was it just, you know, I guess, obviously getting used to the mask and that obviously has its um, effects. So how worried were you exactly? Yeah, I, I don't worry about Devin Booker. Uh, our fan base tends to freak out a little bit about him and his ups and downs occasionally. Uh, obviously, the context here is that he was playing with a, a broken face and, and that mask to try and cover it up, which was clearly bothering him. Um, but I've noted this for a, a long time with Devin Booker and a, a lot more smarter people uh, than I have noted this uh, on podcasts and the like when they've been interviewed, you know, coaching staff, uh, development staff that have worked with Devin Booker in his past. He's one of the brightest, uh, highest IQ basketballers in the NBA. Uh, he adjusts really quickly from situation to situation. So whilst, you know, the Clippers really got to him, uh, threw him some defense that he wasn't used to seeing early on in the series. I, I never worry that he's not going to work his way through it and, and come out the other side. So yeah, the struggles have come particularly early in the Lakers series uh, after his big breakout game and, and definitely in the Clippers series as well. Uh, Denver didn't have any answer for him uh, or Chris Paul uh, in that series sweep, but yeah, I, I, I just don't, I never get concerned about Devin. He might have a couple of bad games, but you know that uh, he's going to bounce back just around the corner. And he's had some humongous games in, in pretty much every series that they've played. And I'd be expecting another one or two here in the finals. Yeah. Um, and I guess just the last point on the youth of the team, were you at all, have you been at all surprised, I guess, with how 
not easy they found the playoffs, but they've relatively breezed through the first few rounds. Was that a, at all a shock to you? Oh, definitely. I think everyone was noting coming in, you know, they had Jay Crowder and Chris Paul, but everyone else was going to be, um, you know, playing their first ever playoffs and, you know, get thrown into some situations that they're not uh, expecting or, or experienced enough for. They've had their moments, don't get me wrong. You know, Devin Booker shoved uh, Dennis Schroeder and got ejected in one of the Lakers games. Uh, he obviously um, has got, I think, four techs in the playoffs so far. So he's hovering around that uh, line where you, you're risking getting suspended for a game. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, uh, yeah, he doesn't lose his head. So I'm not too shocked about him as much as I am shocked uh, at just how consistent he's been because that's been a huge improvement from uh, his first three seasons in the NBA. Uh, Mikael Bridges um, has probably been a little bit disappointing if you if you wanted to pick one of them, but he's also had to guard the likes of LeBron James, Paul George, um, you know, help out. He does a lot for us defensively. So uh, if he struggles a little bit offensively, you can kind of give him a bit of a pass. Uh, and Cam Johnson, you know, 24 years old. I think he's actually older than Devin Booker, uh, who's been in the league for six years. So I guess one advantage of, of drafting guys uh, a little bit on the older side is um, they've played... Uh, particularly if they're from big schools, they've played a lot of big games and aren't overawed by the moment. So uh, it, yeah, it's been a shock that they've got this far, um, but I wouldn't say that I'm totally surprised uh, given the um, the nature of a lot of these guys. Um, they, they, they don't get flustered too much. Yeah, that's bloody unreal. I've just looked up Cam Johnson because he looks about 20 and he's only a few months younger than me. So there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's a little bit on the older side. Uh, well, I wouldn't know. He's not that old. Come on. Um, but no, let's... Moving on, I guess, now to the matchup with the Bucks, and you brought it up a little bit earlier. I think I know the answer to the first question, but well, at least half the answer. Giannis Middleton are obviously there too. Who guards them from the Suns? Yeah, it's really interesting. Obviously, the biggest question right now is whether Giannis plays at all um, and, and, you know, definitely game games one and two in Phoenix. Uh, if he is playing... Uh, I would expect Jay Crowder to match up with him a fair bit, as well as DeAndre Ayton. Uh, the Suns, uh, for anyone you know listening, I think if they watched any of the Lakers series when Anthony Davis was healthy, they tend to do this thing where Crowder will take a guy like Anthony Davis or Giannis uh, if he's kind of out from the free throw line extended and will take him in transition and things like that because he's just a really smart uh, guy and then they'll kind of scram switch and, and try and get the bigger guy onto him as he goes down into the paint and that's where DeAndre Ayton will will kind of pick him up so they're really smart defensively uh, on that end um, and yeah you alluded to it Mikael Bridges uh, will take uh, Chris Middleton and and probably be um, a guy that we really need to do the job because if he can't uh, I don't think anyone else in the starters will be able to. They may give Jay Crowder a crack, but then you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul and you don't know what's going to happen to the rest of your, your matchups there. And I just think that Middleton's probably got a little bit too much shake for a guy like Jay Crowder uh, at this stage of his career. So then we have to kind of look at, um, you know, taking stuff away offensively and, and maybe throwing in a guy like Tory Craig uh, to try and have a crack at, at Chris Middleton. And then uh, back, that yep. really... That, yeah, exactly. Former Buck looking for revenge. Um, but that would take away a lot offensively because he's pretty limited uh, on that end and, and probably the big reason why the Bucks were 
uh, happy to let him go originally. So uh, that's going to be fascinating to see uh, how those primary matchups can go. Hopefully, uh, from a son's perspective and my perspective, they don't have to go into to plans B and C with those two guys. Would you throw Cam Johnson on him? <laughs> when I say Cam's underrated, I don't think he's a great defender. I just think that he... <laughs> is in the right spots more often than not and is a great team defender and can't be kind of exploited yeah, okay. uh, time after time. But he's definitely not a guy that you'd throw out there. Um, you know, you'd be throwing him to the Wolves a little bit if you're expecting him to guard uh, a guy like Chris Middleton, you know, multiple possessions in a row. I think Chris would kind of uh, eventually work out where he, where he can get to with Cam. Yeah. I guess flipping that coin, and you alluded to it with... Um... Uh, Devin Booker and Cam Johnson, who really guards them. But yeah, mismatches on the Bucks side that the Suns could exploit. Yeah, I think I alluded to before, Chris Paul's going to be the real big beneficiary here because I think they're going to put a lot of work into Devin uh, and obviously DeAndre Ayton as the role man. Uh, if I had, you know, thousand bucks to to spend right now, I'd be betting it on Chris Paul as the, the finals MVP because I just don't think that they're going to be able to stay with him while taking away... Uh, the rest of what they want to take away from the Suns' offense. Uh, and then we mentioned him before, could be a, a huge story uh, for the NBA Finals. I think campaign off the bench, uh, and they may even go with uh, a, a kind of three-guard lineup uh, every now and then. Just looking at um, the Bucks, particularly if Giannis doesn't play in a couple of the first games, I don't know how they can guard uh, campaign Chris Paul and Devin Booker all at the same time. So then they might get a few more mismatches to exploit there as well, I think. Yeah, the Bucs um, seem to probably have, at least on the bench, the athleticism mismatch uh, compared to the Suns. Um, it, any other... Well, I guess flipping that then, what weaknesses do the Suns have that you think the Bucs would exploit? I think the Bucks are going to try and exploit um, Bobby Portis, which uh, may be even crazier than thinking about the uh, Suns as a NBA finals team this year is thinking that Bobby Portis could be a key piece uh, on a finals <laughs> team as well. Cause I definitely didn't uh, see that coming, but whether it's starting him again at power forward, like they did when Giannis was out of those Hawks games, uh, or as the first big off the bench, I think that could throw a bit of a curveball to, towards Monty. Uh, one thing that I don't love about Monty Williams is he looks to um, he looks to balance out the opposition too much instead of playing our own game. So you could actually make Monty potentially start a guy like Dario Saric next to DeAndre Ayton in the front court if you play Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis together because he gets a little bit worried about how Jay Crowder is going to go uh, at power forward. Um, but if that's not the case, even with him coming off as like the first guy off the bench, uh, our guy is Dario Saric or, or even worse, a guy like Frank Kaminsky. So um, I think given how thin they are on the bench, um, Bobby Portis is going to have a big, big role to play at potentially trying to find a, a mismatch for the Bucks that the Suns can't keep up with. Well, that, uh, that's actually good because my next point was going to be about the coaching battle. So uh, do you reckon then, just based on you know the, the theory of Portis, um, that Monty might be scared into um, playing for his own mismatch rather than 
trying to exploit and create their own. Yeah, as I said, it's probably the thing that I that I dislike the most about Monty because if I saw that happen, I'd just go smaller uh, and really exploit uh, Bobby Portis out on the perimeter. Given that both him and Brook Lopez can't both sit in the paint if we've kind of spread five out and and got all of our shooters surrounded, but. Uh, if we go off the regular season, when that has happened, I'm trying to think of a couple of teams that could do it. The Lakers obviously uh, would do it in little spurts. Uh, we would often have trouble with uh, who some of the other teams that play a big, big front court. Um, can't think off the top of my head, but basically if you look through the Phoenix game log, there's a, a series about uh, a mid partway middle partway through the season where Frank Kaminsky starts at power forward for about 10 games in a row. Uh, and it was very much because we had a few big front courts to go up against. Um, and Monty Williams really likes to match size with size and not get beaten on the glass. Thankfully for me and my sanity, they eventually uh, went away from that uh, and kind of learned to gang rebound a little bit more around DeAndre Ayton. Um, but they are still a little bit susceptible on the offensive glass. And I know the Bucks, particularly in the postseason, have been a really, really good offensive rebounding team. So, um, yeah, that would be my, my main concern. I personally wouldn't do it, but of what I know about Monty Williams, I definitely think it's something that you've got to watch out for. Uh, and, you know, one way uh, that Bud might be able to, to throw Monty uh, and throw the first punch in the battle, which I know we're not expecting huge... Um, you know, games and, and great in-game adjustments from both of these coaches, particularly Bud. I know what his reputation is, but uh, that might be one of them. Yeah, so I've got Monty in a coaching battle. If I had to, if they were like video game characters, would, would you agree then? Yeah, he's just too good as a planner and, and has a little bit more of an edge on Bud in terms of his flexibility. Uh, I know I'm probably sounding like I'm being a little bit negative about Monty, but um, you know, maybe not in game from, but from game to game, uh, all season and in these playoffs, he's been able to see something that didn't work and then make uh, the right decision uh, in the next game. Whereas I guess where people have been frustrated with Bud in the past is, you know, everybody on the internet seems to see the problem staring him in the face. Yet uh, Bud just <laughs> sticks sticks to what uh, he wants to do, and and that's where everyone gets really frustrated. So yeah, Monty has a similar. Um, trait I suppose in games but he clearly watches film and makes the right decision for the next game so I'd have a little bit more faith in the coaching battle uh, with Monty there I think yeah yeah it, like you said I think a lot of Bucks fans that I not necessarily follow but just the Bucks discourse I see on the internet that there seems to be a lot of you know sideline coach or armchair coaching when it comes to Bud you know like oh how can I see this, but Bud can't, like, you know, that sort of, you know, that sort of commentary. Um, yeah. I just think, I think it's funny because I've, you know, lived through five years of, of, you know, Stan Van Gundy trying to force three, like Josh Smith at small forward. <laughs> so I'm totally cool with anything that's not that. <laughs> yeah, I, I try and not put myself above, you know, the 30 head coaches in the NBA who have all, you know, got, some of the rarest jobs and, and try not to think that I know more than them, but there are definitely some head head scratching decisions sometimes, but I guess then you've got to factor in all the other things that the coaches are thinking about, you know, personalities, chemistry, 
uh, trust uh, with the players. That's one thing that uh, I've noted quite a bit this season with Monty stuck with a few guys uh, potentially longer than the fans on Twitter would have liked him to. But then, you know, more often than not, that guy comes out in one of the the games following on from that decision and, and has a huge game. And I don't think you can uh, discount the fact that uh, Monty's faith in them is, is a big reason why that happens. Yeah. Um, was there anything else you wanted to add about the Bucks series before we just wrap it up with a couple of quick hitters? No, I think we've covered pretty much everything that I've been thinking about the last few days. So happy to, to go to some quick hitters. Okay, so I've only got a couple just at the end. I guess, obviously, fans are back in the arenas now. Um, you know, famously, Suns in four and all that. Um, how important do you reckon the home court advantage the Suns have is going to be? It's been huge all playoffs, to be honest. You know, the Suns were one of the teams that had uh, you know, the most fans early on and then went to full capacity, um, you know, kind of earlier than pretty much any team in the NBA outside of maybe one or two. I think Utah was one of the other ones. Um, th- they've been huge. There's been some great moments for them to be huge in. But, you know, I think the thing that maybe some of your listeners haven't thought about before uh, is the fact that this Suns team uh, has been 10 years removed from the playoffs, let alone Uh, a game uh, like a a game one uh, of the NBA finals. Uh, And it's also a fan base that turned out, I believe 300,000 people in 1993 uh, for a parade where the Suns lost to the Chicago Bulls. So this fan base is basketball crazy um, and they've been dormant for a long, long time. And I think we've seen in the playoffs so far uh, that they've just been ready to explode. And uh, I know I, I get, I, you know, I hate some of the, the sixth man talk that gets thrown up as a narrative sometimes on the broadcast, but uh, yeah. it, it's been as close to that as I've ever seen uh, in terms of the lift that the crowd is, is giving this team for sure. Yeah, there does seem a bit of a, every team loves to claim they've got the best fans. And I mean, what are they going to say? But then also, you know, things like the Seattle Seahawks retiring number 12 because the fans are the 12th man and, you know, all that sort of silly stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's no doubt it's like we definitely saw the value in fans when and it's true for all sports not just basketball um, but I guess basketball in such an enclosed environment like it is the difference in home court advantage when there are fans versus no fans it almost becomes a, a neutral game like there's no real difference um, but then having fans back definitely it, it impacts like and if you don't think that then you're just lying to yourself really yeah, there, there was a story early on uh, in that first round against the Lakers that leaked that uh, some of the Lakers uh, players and coaching staff were complaining about uh, the capacity that the Suns had in their arena versus the Lakers. And, and pretty much from that moment, I knew we were a chance uh, to win the series because if they were noting and, and thinking about that and, and thinking about it enough to, to leak it to the media to get it out there to put mm-hmm. pressure on uh, the Staples Center to allow more fans in, uh, yeah, you could tell we were, you know, the fans were were inside the head a little bit. Yeah. Um, penultimate question: If you had to, if you had to pick one Suns player uh, from the playoffs that, that needs to lift, who would it be? Well, I touched on him before. Probably Mikael Bridges. It is asking a lot of him because um, he takes all those uh, big defensive assignments, and and particularly in the finals, he's going to have Chris Middleton, um, but he's just hasn't been quite aggressive enough. Uh, on the offensive end uh, and knock down as many deep shots that we've uh, learned to expect from him during the the regular season. So he's the one that I'm watching 
Uh, if he could have a big series, it would go a long, long way uh, to the Suns taking home the, the Larry O'Brien trophy. So uh, yeah, he's the one that I've got my eyes on for sure. But I will note that, you know, I've been a big, big fan of Mikhail and, and kind of treat him maybe a little bit differently to some of the other players because I <laughs> uh, expect so much of him uh, and expected him to be a big game player from the moment they drafted him. So I, I'm really hoping you can uh, uh, pay me back with that faith. <laughs> uh, and finally, who's your son's playoffs MVP so far, Bean? Uh, it might shock a few people, but it's DeAndre Ayton. Uh, on my podcast with my co-host after every series, we've been voting uh, five, four, three, two, one um, for the Suns players. And right now, DeAndre Ayton is uh, one vote ahead of Devin Booker for the playoffs MVP. So uh, how they both go in these finals uh, is probably going to depend on who is the MVP so far. But, um, you know, this is the story with DeAndre. I've been saying it for a couple of seasons now. You'll probably look at his stats versus, say, Chris Paul and Devin Booker and wonder how he could possibly be the MVP. But he just does so much for this team that doesn't go down on the stat sheet. And that's been the biggest pleasant surprise uh, from the series so far. So uh, he's the MVP for me right now. And I would say if he's the MVP at the end of the finals, it's probably going to be a big, big reason why uh, the Suns have won uh, the entire thing. Yeah, I mean, it's not a... It wasn't the most outrageous choice. I mean, yeah, I've definitely noticed how important he's been. I guess he's kind of been that constant, you know, just with the nature of the outside players, they can have, you know, up and down games, whereas you need that guy in the middle to just keep it, I guess, pretty even. So I definitely think he's up there as one of the main reasons why the Suns have gotten this far. And it wouldn't shock me at all if he, maybe not wins finals MVP, but he's definitely been a key reason why they've got this far. Yeah, I think he could be our finals MVP even and, and not uh, win that trophy. I think everyone listening probably knows the process. I think it's only four or five media people who vote on the finals MVP, maybe it's 10, maybe I'm cutting him a little bit short there. But uh, as I said, the, the stats don't often leap off the page with DeAndre. It's, it's all the little things that he does that um, don't generally get rewarded uh, from those media types who are more looking for narratives. I can tell you right now, if the Suns win and Chris Paul has a, a relatively decent series, uh, mm-hmm. those media people will be uh, very hard pressed not to put his name down on the piece of paper because of the story involved with Chris Paul potentially yeah. winning in his first M- M- NBA final. So, uh, yeah, I think my MVP and the eventual MVP could end up um, being being different. But you know, to be honest, I don't really care if we win <laughs> win the NBA finals. It, it can be campaign for all I care as long as we get there. It'd be a real Iguodala um, selection if Aiton won it. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Agreed. Uh, where can our listeners find your work? That's a good question. I'm a little bit all over the place at the moment, but uh, they can find me on Twitter at the four point play, which is the IV Roman numeral uh, point play. Uh, always happy to chat. I, I often put content up on Twitter to follow along with the Suns. I also have a Substack newsletter that I've been running for about a year and a half. It is free to subscribe for anybody. Um, And on there, I have any podcast episodes that I do with my former 
uh, podcast co-hosts, we've kind of reunited for the playoffs. It's been that fun. We've had to jump back on the mics every now and then. Um, and I write newsletter content with with video clips and, and breakdowns of the Suns. So uh, they're, they're all the places you can find me right now online. Too easy. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben S. Quag, even though I'm a bit dormant right now. Uh, you can follow us at Beyond T Fence on Twitter and obviously at beyondthefence.com.au. Other than that, David, thanks for joining us and we'll speak to you all again next time. Thanks for listening.